0: Hi, I'm Sherry Trentini, and if you're here today uh, hanging out with me, I want to thank you for, for doing so. Today is Suicide Prevention Day, and every year, it's a I believe it's a, a global uh, date that we have an opportunity to uh, talk about how to prevent suicide. So, first off, I am not a... Uh, M.D., I'm not a PhD, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, counselor, any of those things. I come here today as somebody who has experienced uh, the loss and grief from someone um, who, my husband died of suicide, and I come from a place of, of wanting to just share what I've learned over the number of years because so much has changed since that day, and so... Again, welcome, thank you for for being here. So what I am, what I do do is I work with people uh, to recover from grief, and that can be from any loss. And one of the things that was important to me when I first did the sort of research about getting more information was to find out how that particular Institute dealt with suicide and what their opinion was, because that of course is something that I came to the table with when I first started doing the research a couple of years ago, because there's such a stigma, uh, stigmatism around suicide. There's, you know, so many different thoughts and ideas about what, you know, we believe to be true. And so one of the things that they had shared with me that made, um, made quite a difference was that they look at any death or any loss as not quantifiable in that everybody who experiences grief from whatever their loss is, is unique to them and that there's no quantifying. Because I had gone on for a number of years thinking that Uh, my husband's death was, you know, of course, outside of the box because of the whole suicide thing. And that's where that judgment and ideas, uh, preconceived ideas and and notions about suicide has been. In 2013, um, I came across a uh, blog that I would like to share with you from attemptsurvivors.com. And the big thing that I learned was the change and switch of language of how we can start to perpetuate change and broaden how we think and feel about people who are experiencing um, suicidal ideation suicidal thoughts and so on and so forth so I want to share that with you today too the one thing that I do know in my personal experience um, outside of uh, the, the loss of my husband was that people who are are having suicidal thoughts or ideation and, and on that uh, thought process don't often just come straight out and say to you, I want to kill myself. Sometimes they do, but not always. And I had a personal experience a number of years ago where a very important person <laughs> a very important person to me was sharing about some of the things that she was thinking about and some of the things that were going on with her after having had a uh, an incredible life event. And each conversation that we had, she would share more and more of uh, some of the some of the things that she was thinking about and how these things were sort of making a lot more sense to her. And they they felt like the, a direction that you know felt like a good solution and what happened on one of the particular phone calls is that we were thousands of miles and thousands of of kilometers away from each other so it's not like I could have jumped in the car and went straight over to um, be of support and be helpful but what I was able to do was I really heard what she was saying. I really listened to what her what she was saying and then reached out to somebody to help her, which was her family. And I'm so, so grateful for being able to make that connection and so that she was able to get the help and support that she needed to, to feel different and to feel better and to feel heard. And that's one of the quotes that um, I find to be most significant. <clears throat> And it's a variation of a Stephen Covey quote that says, the biggest communication problem we have is that we don't listen to understand, but we listen to reply. I didn't have a solution for her. Um, Of course, the trains of thought that she was going on. I did not want her to be getting on board. I wanted to get her off of that train. But the difference in that particular situation is that I stopped myself from feeling that I needed to have the solution or that I could have talked her out of it or I could have told her to suck it up and, you know, come on, you know, don't don't be talking like that. Because that's how she was thinking and feeling. And so those are some of the things that when it comes to suicide prevention, if somebody is sharing something intimate of how they are feeling, it is not necessarily that they are waiting for us to have the magic answer and to share the most sage and wise thing in order for them to, oh, you're right, I'm going to change that thought and it's all going to go away. The difference is that we need to be more compassionate to what somebody is sharing with us. Then again not everybody who has suicidal ideation um, and are having these thoughts are you know expressing what is going on for them and you know people can um, keep all of that inside of them and I shared a quote on my Facebook page yesterday that said people can be quiet about their pain that you forget that they are hurting and that can, that's only a portion of the, of the quote, but I think it's very, very prevalent that we have that opportunity to, you know, we, we don't want to talk about heavy stuff like that. We don't want to, because we don't have the solutions, we don't have the answers. So when people, you know, put on the, the facade or put on the brave face or whatever you want to call it and stop talking about it, we think, oh, everything's okay. It's OK. We don't need to, to do much. But that's maybe when we need to be listening even more, listening to what they're not saying and being there to support. Again, they're not turning to us in order to have the, the, the magic answer, but they certainly could use the compassion and empathy in order to help them get the support that they need. I came across a website uh, called speakingofsuicide.com, and it says, it, and the one thing I wanted to share today was uh, the 10 things not to say to a person. The days preceding uh, my husband's death, things were not awesome at our house. And uh, in one conversation, you know, a very heated conversation on the telephone, he had made a, a passing comment um, about harming himself. And uh, I'm very forthcoming about this to, you know, my kids know, I've I've talked about this with other people. But because it was the first and only time I'd ever heard anything like that, because we were having, um, we were in a stressful time and, you know, our communication wasn't exactly ideal. What, how did I receive that? What filter was I using in order to hear that? I thought he's not gonna do anything like that like that's just stupid like why are you talking about that and you know why would you even say that but you know it's in the heat of the moment that when people are saying uh, things that you know of course sound like bizarre to us like why would you know why would they be thinking that why would they be saying that that's when you know we are our beliefs and our ideas about who that person is where maybe making assumptions. And maybe that's the the time where we need to step back and listen, listen to what we are hearing and um, see, you know, sort of change the the texture. Could I have done something more better or different in that situation? Absolutely. Um, But I also came with this pre, you know, predisposed, preconceived ideas that what he was saying was just an, you know, an attempt to, uh, you know, do something distract me from what we were going through the uh, this this article is uh, pretty clear about how you know it's not you know these words don't come out specifically often but it's it's that receiving and it's that empathy it's the understanding or not understanding but again not wanting to reply so they've got some uh, they've got 10 things not to say. The first one is how could you think of suicide? Your life's not that bad. It is my understanding with all the reading that I've done over the years it's not about <laughs> it's not as easy as to look at all the abundance that we have in the world and all the good things that they have. The overriding thought is that you know that this is more of a solution Um, and again not a practical solution but at the same time that it's not that they don't appreciate and see all the things that they have it's that they are inside on that hamster wheel of of other thoughts that sort of take them out of that place of appreciation so they're saying here that um, when we when we say to somebody well things can't be that bad that we are diminishing how they are feeling inside. Another thing that they share on this post is, uh, don't you know that I would be devastated if you killed yourself? How could you think of hurting me like that? Oof. Well, absolutely. That's yeah, that, that comes from, from an honest place for the person speaking that. But that person who is being honest about feeling this way and having these thoughts is already feels bad because they can't That you know this is overwhelming them and now we add another layer of guilt or shame or or other things the whole suicide is selfish I heard that so much um, after he died and uh, that is a really really uh, tough thing because we it's it's selfish in one way that you look at it, but how can we make that judgment? How can we, you know, again, place that shame and blame on the person who is overwhelmed with the depressive thoughts or these these um, these feelings? Oh, suicide is cowardly. Yeah, um, I heard that, and you know what? I also thought that from, from, you know, that's sort of the collective consciousness, that it's selfish and it's cowardly. Um, I, I totally disagree with that whole idea. But again, that's imposing something on a person who is sharing very intimately that this is what's going on for them. And now we're telling them they're a coward when they are being so incredibly brave by being open with you right now or in sharing that this is what's happening for them. So. I don't see where, we, where we've attached cowardice to that, especially for somebody who is coming and you know being open and wanting to be heard. Another one that they have on the list here is, you don't mean that, you don't really want to die. Well, as they, I'll continue, it says, often that's set out of anxiety or fear by the listener, and this message is invalidating and, again, dismissive you know we're presuming that the person you know does mean that they want to die but at the same time it's it's an opportunity for how can we get you the help that you need and we are again sort of imposing on them our our fear and our anxiety about listening to someone having this kind this level of pain you have so much to live for yeah and that kind of statement can be, a, you know, a reminder of all the things that they they do have. But the overriding thing right now is that that is not on top of mind. There are other things that are that are, you know, taking away from their ability to see all the love and abundance and support that they have surrounding them. Things could be worse. Whew. Well. Um, that doesn't inspire a lot of joy and hope, as they say on this post, and I agree. Um, that's a that's a tough thing that we want to compare, you know. Well, you know, look at look at this person, look at that person, and you know things are so much worse for them. But right now, in their world, this is the worst thing that could be possibly happening. This is the thing that they are thinking about. That is overwhelmed and so much going on. So to start diminishing what they are feeling, because that's their experience. To you know, it's like saying, uh, look at all the starving children, you know, that don't have a, a plate full of food. Well, it's, it's, yeah, there are starving children and you have a plate full of food, but right now, this is where we need to be. We need to be more focused on what's happening in the present, maybe not what other people are experiencing. And so we need to, again, sort of stop, stop ourselves from wanting to um, lessen what they are feeling or diminish what they are feeling again another same along that same lines that other people have problems worse than you and they don't want to die well that's an assumption for sure and again a way to take them out of of honestly and authentically sharing with you where they are at so that's that's certainly a conversation killer and and something that would turn them away from you uh, from them continuing to be open with you and suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, absolutely, that it, it is permanent, there's, there's no doubt about that. And when there are things happening in somebody's life that they feel that this is, you know, the, the, the biggest and most uh, obtrusive thing, that it doesn't feel like it's temporary because maybe they've been feeling like this for a long time maybe it's something that started small and it's grown and grown and grown and grown and they don't have that ability to be reflective and step back to see when it was small and how it's possible to to sort of turn things around and you know find a solution so that is certainly another way to be dismissive when somebody is being honest with you the last one um, you will go to hell if you die by suicide uh, th- absolutely there are there are uh, religions that have a, a, a strong belief uh, of, of what happens uh, when someone uh, dies by suicide and that again you know that's just adding guilt and shame and all the other good stuff on them so this is a great article. I'll, I'll throw a link to the post uh, in the comments here. But one of the biggest things that I would say from sharing this information with you and my own experience is, again, listening to understand. We don't have to understand fully what it is that they are what they are experiencing, and we don't have to have the answers. But we certainly can be a part of a potential solution by. Finding a uh, suicide uh, hotline number, finding getting resources locally, and because of the, the the prevalence of suicide, there are so many resources. There are so many free, uh, you know, call twenty four hours a day, three you know, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year, where they can at least start the process of getting someone who can listen to them and help them to be feel heard because that is the biggest thing and I've I've said that a number of times that the the greatest gift that we can give someone is listening and feeling heard and not having that feeling of dismiss being dismissed like I said in in 2013 I came across this blog that I want to share with you but when I first started reading it um, he in this, in what he's making in these statements, I could raise my hand all day long because I had those same beliefs and those same thought processes about suicide. Uh, the, you know, the cowardly, the the selfishness, all of that stuff, because that's our collective consciousness. That that information has been passed on from gener- generation to generation. And one of the things that I would also say is that even my kids, who are teenagers, sixteen and eighteen they are growing up in a world that has a much broader understanding and the norm of understanding about mental illness about anxiety about depression about all of the many other moving parts when it comes to mental illness that they have a much great much more compassion because they have learned so much more that they know so much more and when i was their age i came up i came, i grew up in the whole suck it up princess you know, like get back up, stop thinking that way. That's stupid. All of those things. And so, what a what a wonderful gift that as we are learning more, we can learn from our our children and the younger generation to be a, a lot more accepting and understanding that a mental illness does not necessarily mean a weakness. It is not a weakness. It is an it is an illness and that is one of the biggest sort of mind shifters because we have come from such a long time of of thinking that people were less than if they were depressive or if they were anxious or things like that so what a gift that the generation are that they're coming up and having so much more information so much more empathy with what people are experiencing this uh i've posted this on my blog a couple times because uh, i and i've shared this with multiple people because of what an amazing mindset shift i received after reading this and i had even reached out to the author of this blog because i was sort of so stuck in that victim mode and even when my girls were in the first especially in the first few months after their dad died um, they would ask the question why, why would he do that? And my responses though came from a, a genuine place and I was trying to be as as genuine and authentic and non-harmful as possible when speaking to them. I, uh, I know that I perpetuated some of those same ideas and uh, those limiting ideas about mental illness. And in this article, I'll just get right to it and then I'll interject as I go. Um, Joel Cobran, uh, uh was the author of this and it's from AttemptSurvivors.com and he starts off by saying, talking about suicide is counterproductive. At first blush, uh, that statement is completely misguided, but bear with me. Before a suicidal event, the focus seems to be on reducing stigma or preventing deaths. After a suicidal event, However, come the questions. Why did he or she do it? What was so terrible? You know, did they really think this was the best solution? I'm totally guilty of that. Uh, Did I miss something? And so on. The common thread in these questions appear to be the concept of choice. There's the idea that the person uh, who takes their own life or tries to do so did it purposefully and voluntarily. And this is a sad and destructive point of view. I, you know, I... I can't be certain, but I'm pretty sure that after I read that particular statement, I may have taken a uh, sort of setback from the computer because I know that I had perpetuated the thought that when my girls, when they were younger, were asking, you know, why did Daddy do this, and I would my response was always, "I don't know why he would choose not to be here, but I am so grateful that I am here with you," and that is uh, a <laughs> that is a really um, A a tough thing because I was then perpetuating that whole concept and idea that what he did was a choice you know it's like he decided to have a ham sandwich for lunch and so he got the bread and the butter and the ham and put it all together and so you know we have that idea that mindset that this is uh you know that this was a, a a choice I'll continue here. It says, let's let's start with the current thinking about suicide. Then let's see how we can change the sti- You know, change it. Stigma and prejudice is probably the biggest deterrent facing people who are searching for help. And even though that our world has broadened uh, about the understanding and the appreciation and compassion around mental illness, I would still say that there's a, a, a level. There's still that sort of filter in which it is not okay for them to find help it's not okay to talk about it it's not okay to be honest about and emotionally truthful about what what it is they're feeling the language around suicide has already blamed them and made their thoughts and feelings their fault their choice but nothing could be further from the truth in general we can say people look down on and judge those who have had suicidal experience Typical comments refer to weakness, selfishness, and cowardice. And then of course the inevitable question, how could you do this to me? Let's look at the vocabulary associated with suicide. People kill themselves, try to kill themselves, commit suicide, attempt, fail at suicide, and uh, and are successful at suicide. All are very troublesome. Then you have what might be the most confusing term. It often suggests It is often suggested to patients as they start their recovery that if they look on the internet under suicide survivors, they will find support groups and resources. But these are grief groups for parents, siblings, and other family and friends. Here is what's troublesome about the term suicide survivor. With cancer, heart disease, liver failure, and so on, the survivor is the person who is directly affected by the health problem, who lives with it and sometimes dies from it. By taking on the role of suicide survivor, the bereaved accept the role of victim as well, since they are inexorably connected. You cannot be a survivor without being a victim. And to be a victim, there must be a perpetrator. Would that perpetrator then be the very person for whom they grieve? As I said, a troublesome term. However, we all know that the true culprit of a death by suicide has yet to be revealed, but we have a pretty good idea. Research has stated that more than 90% of the people who die by their own hand do so while suffering from mental illness. Now again, uh, I'm quoting, I'm reading directly from a blog that was written in 2013. The number of years have passed. Perhaps the the statements of percentages and statistics might be different. This begs the question, is death really their choice? If they had died from an untreated cancer instead, would we blame them or would we have compassion for their terminal illness? And if mental illness is the cause, how can responsibility be assigned to the, its victim instead? Why do we say that they made a choice? If it is recognized that someone died uh, while um, over- while overcome by an illness mental or otherwise it becomes impossible to blame them for the event the cause of death is the illness not the problem so a death by suicide is not a choice it is a result so again when i read this in 2013 um, that really just shattered a whole bunch of thoughts that i had a whole bunch of beliefs that i had about how you know, he made this choice, why would he make this choice, how could he do this to his kids, how could he do this to me, his family, his friends, all of these people, because that's what I knew to be true, and this statement, in this blog post, changed all of that, I'll continue, and in that case, doesn't it make more sense to use language that takes responsibility, the blame, from the victim, and puts it where it belongs, with the disease, When the term suicide is one day replaced with a less blaming term such as fatal depressive episode, we have started to recognize the true nature of the event. It demonstrates that what has happened is not an assertive act, but the product of a disease. We begin to acknowledge the absence of intent and we recognize the overwhelming darkness and hopelessness that defines such an illness at an advanced stage. When we replace killed themselves or committed suicide with fatal depressive episode, we start to see the horror of the mental illness that took our son, our daughter, our husband, our brother, sister. And we can reduce the stigma. We can open a real dialogue. We can stop blaming our loved ones and ourselves and get to... The task at hand, understanding, healing, and prevention. So, to this day, even though I have read this repeatedly, and I have shared it repeatedly, I still fall back into that same language, I still fall back into that mindset, and I, and I neglect to use that term, a fatal depressive episode because doesn't that make a big difference? Doesn't that change how we what our perceptions and what our beliefs and what we have known to be true as to how people are um, perceived when uh, they've attempted or successful or otherwise? It did for me. It did for me. So. Does that mean that I am the world-class listener? You know, I've, I've had a, a, one experience that I shared at the top of this, but uh, does that mean that because I have this personal experience and it's unique to me and that this is, uh, you know, dinner conversation? Well, in some cases, it, it certainly is. About a year and a half after um, my after he died we had moved abroad and at my eldest daughter's school they were having a school dance and just before the school dance one of her classmates had successfully um, committed suicide had a fatal depressive episode and so the dance was cancelled and so when she shared that with me what did I perceive that to be I felt that was another opening to talk about You know, talk about suicide, talk about some of the things that we had learned in that time so far, talked about, you know, if you were feeling this way, you know, you know that you can talk to me, keeping those lines of communication open because it is around us all the time. We may not have a direct connection with that with that classmate or schoolmate rather, but it's there's that ripple effect because then it brings up all the other things that you've been feeling or that you've experienced in the past. So suicide has certainly you know, as I did, it's not dinner conversation every day, but it's something that is that we do talk about. Then a couple of years ago, I had um, some had another VIP to me share that the depression or the the feelings that they were having uh, were overwhelming, and it was conveyed in such a way that it felt a bit not casual, but it didn't feel imminent. And then. Um, As I was, you know, getting around to getting them the support or finding a resource to support them, then things, you know, sort of came up in a much much, uh, bigger and imminent way. So even despite the things that I've read, you know, the things that I've shared um, and the experiences I've had, this experience also taught me that you know I I heard that but it still didn't click for me that this was now that this the need was now this had the support needed to come now and I'm grateful that um, uh, we were successful in getting the support that they needed and the help and the resources and all of those things however it took a really big event in order for me to stop being busy in other ways and gonna to get to it to getting to it now get in the car and let's go kind of now so I as I said I'm not an expert in suicide prevention I'm not an expert in in any way shape or form my intention in coming to uh, do this today um, It just, it it felt like the right time for me to, and and I'm very forthcoming about my story. I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not one not to talk about it, but uh, I really felt compelled to, to, again, put it out there to people that we don't have to have the answers, but we do have to have our listening ears on. And when we were, when we were making assumptions about what somebody is telling us that, oh, you know it's it's nothing oh they'll get over it oh they're just having a bad day or you know the uh, all of those things where we want to diminish what they're feeling and then we might use words or language to diminish how what they've just shared with us that's the the big difference you know the the listening so that they feel heard that you are listening from uh, a, a place of, of wanting to be of support And not to do, you know, not to diminish what it is that they are honestly and genuinely and authentically sharing with you. Because hearing that somebody feels bad, it's horrible, right? We don't want anybody to feel that way. We don't want anybody to go on that that train. And so, doing ourselves and them and everybody in the world to be open to hearing that and allowing allowing them to express what it is that they are thinking and feeling in a safe and non-judged place it's it's certainly uh it's certainly something that you can't just flip a switch and turn on especially if it's somebody who's close to you because you of course want to fix you want to you know we want to talk them out of it we want to do this but we also have to sometimes step back and and understand and respect the fact that we are we, we may not be that person right We may not be that person that is going to have the right words, that we, uh, you know, that we need to be that person to help them find the right people. And that's okay, because there are tremendous amounts of resources. So I'm so grateful for everybody who has jumped on here today. Um, I appreciate that this is a topic that... You know, especially uh, on any day of the week um, or on the calendar, is not the lightest of topics. And but it's also an opportunity for us to talking about it doesn't normalize and make everything making making suicide and all of that okay. But it's also an opportunity for us to learn from each other. It's an opportunity to um, maybe approach things in a different way, to to change our mindset, to to change how we're thinking, and to maybe be more open to receiving, and be also okay, make it okay for um, how they are feeling, and okay for us to find the help that they need. Um, I am so blessed by being able to um, have the opportunity to be sharing this and I am so grateful for you to be here. I will share the resources um, below this post if you are of interest, are interested in uh, reading the, the post that I referred to. And if you ever want to talk about um, grief or anything, um, always know that I'm happy to, happy to have a conversation. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.